Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined today by Jacob. Hello. And we're going to be reviewing Space Base. Uh, but first, let's talk about what we've been playing, because uh, it's not a lot, but we have had some... We'll say some interesting experiences. Yeah, we have uh, in both of the games that we're going to talk about today. So the first one that we'll talk about is we played this on stream a little while ago. Empires of the Void 2. Yeah. And this was the second time playing it. And my impression hasn't really changed. Yeah, you were definitely not happy with the mechanics and with the, the way the game unfolded. I mean, it was a very dice based game. Right. And with me and dice, it's whatever I need, I will get the opposite. Right. If I need high, I will get low. If I need low, I get high. Yeah. And literally, that's exactly what played out in the entire game. Yeah. I think that I tried to do diplomacy, which is uh, you know trying to get influence on a planet, and you discard power cards equal to uh, you know, however much power, and then you roll dice and try to get under that. Mm -hmm. And I think I did that like six times during the game right and i succeeded once yeah i it was something some ratio to that effect and, and it wasn't even like i i was discarding cards that were like really low numbers and everything every single time i discarded it was four mm. so i had a over 50 percent chance of success mm -hmm. but the dice screwed me over as per usual right well, and I think this is one thing. I don't remember if I said this to you after we, we finished the game, but I think the diplomacy action where you discard cards, any card, in order to roll a die to be able to place an influence, I really think that's not that's supposed to be like a last resort. Like, I think because it's tied to it know. is the same action yeah. as play a card action from your hand. Mm -hmm. And I think that is by far the more, uh, certainly the more consistent way and also the more rewarding way to get influence with a yeah. particular planet because well, that usually well, also gives is, you credits and yeah the cards they do give they do have more of a uh, of an impact but at the same time what they do is they also limit where you can place them so if i wanted to go for this specific planet that i had no cards from sure yeah and that's like, true. because there, there were a few planets that i could go to at, at the times when i was doing this that you know adding one influence to this planet would give me control over the planet right and like it was multiple times that it was that and like i wanted to do it in order to you know go for my secret objective mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff so it was just like i needed to get to those planets right and and do that and there was no real other way for me to do it which i mean diplomacy is i think the more flexible but weaker way mm -hmm. but it's still a viable option i mean well clearly not well not for me because it involves rolling dice but like in general i think I don't know. This game, it it made me like, just think about it a little bit, and like it was too fast in some ways, and at the same time too slow. Mm -hmm. Like each of the turns was way too slow because, like you know, we were all just like thinking about what we could possibly do and all that, and it was it just took forever to get through a turn. But then the game was over really quick before we could even get our stuff up and running for me sure yeah i mean there's definitely some of that tension right like i mean i feel like this you run into this situation in a lot of to be honest a lot of red raven games but mm -hmm. also a lot of sort of you know resource and and engine oriented games in general which is just that you know they end 
maybe right after you feel like you've gotten over the hump. The impact of the game, the bulk of the game is about building the engine. Mm-hmm. And certainly in Empires of the Void, and I feel like in many other games as well. And they don't want you to have it firing on all cylinders for too many turns because then it's just coasting. And then, but the thing is that they they have all these other things that you can do, like with, with the player combat, with the the other things, like you know, just even making this game a little bit longer could allow you to beat the goddamn Confederacy or whatever the hell the the, the aliens yeah, the are. Sarkeen Regency, the Sarkeen Regency bullshit, which they yeah. put on there. Yeah, uh, like it, it just it feels like you're not even ready to it's supposed to be an empire building game mm-hmm. and i feel like i've gotten a foothold by the time the end game, the game ends yeah i think that's fair in a lot of ways like it, it doesn't feel like i've built an actual empire or it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it's done it feels like oh you just walked in the door and then like everyone's leaving yeah yeah, I, I mean, I, I can certainly see that. I think part of it is, you know, and this is sort of me stepping into the head of the game designer, so mm-hmm. take it with a grain of salt. I think some of that is just a desire to avoid, you know, there's only so many things you can do in the game. Yeah. You know, there's only so many planets on which you can put influence. There's only so many cards you can use before you run through the deck. There's only so many units that you can build or buildings that you can build because eventually you've researched every tech, you've acquired every building, and then... Where do you go from there? And because those things are relatively standard, you know, there is some variable player power in the exact types of research Mm -hmm. that you can acquire. But for the most part, it's pretty standardized. And I think the fact that the game ends when it does is a deliberate attempt to avoid getting to the point in like the late game where everybody has done everything and then they're just throwing themselves at each other with more or less equivalent power and it's pure luck. Because I feel like in a late game combat situation where everybody has acquired every research, everybody has built every base, and everybody has a full stack of units, I feel like that's just what would eventually. I think that that's a little bit too much, but like something in between, like you know, let's just take the last game that we played for example. I built two buildings Mm -hmm. in that entire game. Right. Like you guys built more, but even then, you still had I think at least half of your buildings left. Uh. Something like that. I'm trying to remember now exactly yeah. how many I built. I think I built five or six out of 12. So, yeah. yeah, about half my buildings. Exactly. You still have half your buildings left. Right. And you, you also didn't finish all of your research. Right. And, I mean, like, you're, I know you're not supposed to finish all these kinds of things, but it's just, like, there's still room in this game. Well, right. But, I, and I mean, I guess we're sort of getting into this idea of game philosophy is that mm-hmm. are you supposed to get everything in the game? I don't no, think I, you are. I think it's more about getting to a point, you know, picking and no, choosing. I, I, I know that, but I'm not saying that you are supposed to. I'm just saying that it's like you haven't even like gotten to the point where it's satisfying. Hmm. Like, All right. I don't think you're supposed to get everything in the game. That's, sure. that's definitely not it. And it's just like that. The other problem is that there's just there's so little customization. There's so little like, yeah, that build, will, like yeah. building into a strategy is yeah. almost impossible. Yeah. And variable player power is limited to basically like the two or three different research that you have that's like not quite what everybody else has. And it, it's just like it's almost like your starting location will determine who wins the game. Hmm. I could see that. I mean, there's certainly ways, you know, you can you could go if you see that someone's building up a huge like situation over in a corner, you can always like make a decision to go and 
and yeah, attack but, them. But, but at the yeah, same time, no, like, a lot of times it's just like, yeah, you can do that, but the amount of the cost of moving your, your fleet and mm-hmm. anything like that is extremely large. Then there's the just the the combat itself but like i mean i moved maybe four times in the entire game when yeah. we were playing yeah and it was just like and you guys moved maybe a little bit more than i did but even then it wasn't a lot right uh, we barely ever crossed paths until like the very end of the game and it it just like we were doing the same things but based on where we were like you know we got more benefits and that kind of thing and the cards allow you to like influence other things like the whole allies thing and all that Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's just like i don't know it it just it takes all the worst parts of the the game these kinds of games that i that i've played and puts them all together like Hmm. you know it's it makes it the turns too slow because you're you have a lot of you have a decent number of decisions to make and a lot of just action economy that you you just don't have a lot of things that you can do right and even then you're not even choosing and i'm talking about like within a turn like you know because this this has a follow mechanic Mm -hmm. you know you're going and then everyone else is following you yeah and just like that whole thing they take so long by the time it gets back to your turn to choose from for whatever you want to do it's it's been like well and it's it's interesting because it is a really it's an extremely robust follow mechanic Mm -hmm. i would say probably one of the most comprehensive that i've seen certainly to rival something like puerto rico and basically Mm -hmm. every turn everybody has full opportunity to perform the same action yeah exactly which is is really pretty incredible yeah it it also Um, but it does slow down the pace of play you know because it leads to people taking a full turn's worth mm-hmm. of movement and attacking and doing all that stuff when all you wanted to do was just zoom over to an uninhabited planet and move on. Exactly. So it, it just like it slows it down that way. So by the time you get to choose whatever you want to do, like it's been, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes since the last time you actually got to choose anything. Yeah. And and then like at the same time, you the game goes so quickly because of like the, the, the way the drawing mechanic goes, like the end game just sneaks up on you and it doesn't feel like, you know, you've got a lot out of the game by the end hmm. for me anyway i suppose i i mean i disagree but mm-hmm. yeah that'll happen but enough of my bitching <laughs> um enough of my saltiness i i just this game is not my favorite yeah um, and that's i mean not every game is going to be your favorite mm-hmm. so. but we also got to play gloomhaven yeah which i surprisingly also have a little bit of mixed feelings about yeah i i kind of share some of those mixed feelings actually i think we're probably yeah on, on a same wavelength similar wavelength like this is a game that's that's been talked up as like one of like the the, the amazing games is number one on bgd and no one thinks it's going to get knocked down for a long long time mm-hmm. i don't see it yet it's i i see the potential i think mm-hmm. i'm definitely seeing the potential i'm liking this idea that eventually i will be able to to grow my character to level up to build my deck to enhance or enchant my cards and like Mm -hmm. permanently make them better and and you know add prosperity to gloomhaven and all those things but i think we are still very much in the early stages and there's we're starting to see some sort of cracks in the armor of this system right which number one is that it's just punishingly hard it's so difficult it's like it's supposed to be i don't know i i I compare this to a DD dungeon crawl Mm mm-hmm I don't think I've I've really ever played D and D Dungeon Call. That's this punishingly difficult. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even the enemies. Although like the enemies hit hard and like they're very dangerous, and you have mm-hmm. to be careful around them. And that's that's fully something you know. Yeah. I, I played 
Imperial Assault. I played Massive Darkness. Like, that's something that I've come to expect from mm-hmm. these sort of dungeon crawly games. But the thing that really makes the game so hard, in my opinion, is the exhaust mechanic. Yeah. And the fact that you're constantly running out of cards. You know, mm-hmm. you're losing your best cards when you activate that ability. You're, you know, constantly losing cards as you pull draw back through your discard pile. And there's some mitigation. You know, you're playing the Tinkerer. Yeah. So we can get some of those cards back. The Spellweaver has the ability to regain all of her lost cards in one big fell swoop. Yep. So that's really, they're really powerful mechanics. But I think at the core of it, like it just feels really, really close. And some people would say that's finely calibrated. You know, the fact that you do get that close to mm-hmm. losing every single time and then eke out a victory in all three of the games that we've played. But also like... I feel like that, that really skin of your teeth, you know, last game we had one character dead, two characters exhausted, and the third character was like two turns away from exhausting. Yeah, like like that. that type of situation, I feel like that should be if something has gone horribly wrong, which yeah. you could argue that it did because I died halfway through the scenario. Mm-hmm. But also the second scenario was very much like that. Yeah. The first scenario was maybe not quite that bad, but mm-hmm. it still felt close. Yeah, and it's like, I don't mind the close feeling, like the feeling that it's just like, oh, this is close, like, this is difficult. I want to be challenged, but I don't want to feel at wit's end every single time I'm doing anything. Right. And it's just like, that's what I feel like when I'm playing each of the scenarios where it's just like, oh my God, like, you know, we're going to die, mm-hmm. like, every single time. Like, I think that this should reward some more planning and that kind of stuff of just like, you know, what you synergize use of different things with with your other players and all that kind of stuff and you have a better plan and then things don't go like belly up immediately Mm -hmm. and it's just i think it's just a little bit unbalanced in that way i and i'm not seeing i'm not foreseeing it getting any more balanced as we get more powerful is the thing yeah scaling is going to be interesting i think i'm i'm certainly withholding judgment for a Mm -hmm. while um you know i want to see what happens once we get to level two once we sort of have access to maybe some a full set of equipment even you know because right now we basically have like one piece of equipment and one consumable each yeah more or less um you know so i'm i'm interested to see how the game scales but i do Based on early assessments, like I do worry that I'm going to get just burnt out on the sheer stress of finishing a scenario. Yeah, me too. And another thing that really just is a pet peeve of mine that really irks me, looting. Yeah. Yeah, well, the fact that you don't have shared resources is like... Yeah, the fact you don't have shared resources, the fact that like you have to like, use a card that like uh, makes that lets you loot this kind of stuff and, and like most of them are like one-time use or you have to sit stand on top of it at the end of your turn mm-hmm. and the fact that your characters after beating everything in a dungeon can't go and take everything that's in that dungeon right really is just annoying yeah there's a, there's definitely a few sort of rules and situations where it's just kind of like Eh, I don't see it. And I mean, I get that a lot of it sort of is responding to that time pressure, this idea that they've created a time pressure mechanic because of the exhaustion and they don't want to just completely relax all of those. Like you have to prioritize. Do you want the chest or do you want to make sure you win the scenario and kill all the enemies? And I get that. But also it just, in some ways, it does feel very unsatisfying. Yeah. So it's, I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops, but as of right now, 
I actually think that I might like Massive Darkness's actual combat mechanics more than I like the the ones here. Wow, that's pretty so, intense. Yeah. Well, there you go. Bit of a downer today on uh, what we've been playing, but I mean, sometimes that'll happen. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you fall out of love with uh, with games or designers, and uh, other times things surprise you. So there you go. That's uh, what we've been playing. Space, the final frontier, where no man or meeple has gone before. Wait a minute. Why is there a base here? Wait a minute. Someone's been here before. Greg, were you here? No, it wasn't me. Then who? Well, whatever. We have a space base now. Yeah, space base. Uh, it's a, a dice and card based game for two to five players. Plays relatively quickly. The box has about 60 minutes. And I think our experiences bear that out. Um, and we're going to be reviewing that today, so let's jump right in. Yeah. So first off, how do you play Space Base? You have a few different mechanics to know of. First, you have dice. You roll them. That, that is cool. generally what you do with dice, yes. That's the first part. And then you have a tableau of cards numbered 1 through 12. Each of the cards corresponds to a number on the dice or a sum of the two dice. And when you roll that number, you activate the card, you get the benefit. Exactly. And so this is one of the you know areas where Space Base really shines and brings out some complexity is that when you roll these dice, you can take the combination value mm-hmm. or you can take the individual values. So you have cards 1 through 12. And to use an example, your starting card for a 7 gives you 3 income. Mm-hmm. Your starting card for a 7 gives you 3 credits, which is basically the currency that you spend throughout the game. So if you roll a 1 and a 6, you can take that as a 7 and get 3 credits. Or you can take it as a 1 and a 6, giving you 1 credit each. Now, in this case, that's obviously inferior. But as the game progresses, having that flexibility, you know, maybe you've invested in 6s, mm-hmm. and you'll be able to choose that instead. So that's a really fundamental mechanic that sets it kind of apart from some of these roll and select mechanics. Yeah, exactly. And the cards, they mostly give you one of three different resources, really. You can get credits which are just currency. Mm-hmm. Then you can get uh, you can get income, which changes your base that you start off each time you spend your money. Right. And then you have victory points. And that is just the track. When you get to 40 points, that's when the game ends. Whoever has the most points after that round is done. That's it. Exactly. So those are the three resources in the game. So you can generate credits to buy things. But what are the things that you're buying? Well, you're buying other spaceships. So in the middle, in between all of the players, there is sort of a spread of 18 cards. You've got six tier one cards, six tier two cards, and six tier three cards. And all of these are available for purchase, and each of them goes into a specific slot. So one of them will occupy the eight slot. A different one might occupy a two slot, so on and so forth. And they have different bonuses, usually stronger bonuses than your starting cards. So what you do, you spend your credits, you buy those, you put that in your, it's called your active slot for that number, but then you take the card that was formerly occupying that active slot, you turn it around, slide it mostly underneath your board, and there's another thing called the passive bonus on what was formerly the bottom of the card, and now this takes effect whenever your opponents roll that number. Yeah, exactly. And this is, I think, what gets to the heart of what makes Space Base. And that is that you get benefits both when you roll and when your opponents roll. Exactly. 
And that is just a great mechanic in general. And the nice part is that you actually get benefits of whatever you roll. So you can roll two dice and you will get a benefit. Right. But uh, depending on how you build, you might not get benefits on everything that other people roll, but you might get something spectacular when they roll a certain number. Mm -hmm. And so it's just balancing and building your space base will literally will really like change how the game goes and how much interaction you have with other people's roles exactly and the other cool thing is that you don't have to take whichever like decision the other person who rolled the dice makes so if greg rolled the dice and he got a three and a four and so he added them together and took the seven i have a really good three and a four slot I'm going to use those those die rolls separately as a three and a four. Right. Doesn't matter what he did. And like, you know, the third person or anyone else who's playing can choose whichever one of those they want. Right. You're not locked into whatever their decision was. Uh, and it really, as the game progresses and as you build up more and more passive benefits, more than likely across a wide array of numbers, you find that you really don't have any downtime. You know, every time somebody rolls, whether it's you or an opponent, you probably have some benefit that you're gaining, which just feels really great for piece of play. Exactly, exactly. And it's nice because it's like you're, you're almost hoping that everyone else is going to roll a certain like number. It's like, you know, please roll an eight, please roll an eight, please roll an eight. <laughs> um, and, you know, when it happens, it's like, yes, I now like have this crazy huge benefit. And everyone's like looking at you like, damn, you you did more on, on their turn than you did on your own. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's that's really a great mechanic and really great at making sure that all the players are immersed at all times and you don't mm -hmm. have you know downtime where you're zoning out or on your phone or or what have you there's a couple other mechanics that you can find on cards so you know credits income and vp those are by far the most common uh, but you can also have what are called activated cards these receive charge counters whenever you roll the number or your opponent rolls a number mm -hmm. they'll have a little square on them that can hold a charge cube the square color denotes whether it's activated on your turn or your opponent's turn blue for you red for your opponents or green for whenever or green for whenever and then once that charge counter has been placed you can consume it in order to activate the appropriate action so these can be everything from you know just gain a certain amount of money to gain a certain amount of victory points to also a lot of more specialized abilities yeah so a couple of these most common i would say are called dice arrows Mm -hmm. So this is a mechanic whereby you can expend a charge counter and treat whatever dice combo you or your opponent rolled as one higher or one lower, yeah. depending on which way the arrows are facing or two higher if there's two of them, things like that. So this is one of those sort of mitigation mechanics that allows you to say, okay, well, my 12 is really good, but 12 is a huge corner case. Yeah. You know, obviously there's only one possible combination of dice that are going to ever roll that. But if I have this charge counter that I can consume to increase my die roll by two, then suddenly a 10 can be a 12, which is way more possible combinations. Yeah. So dice arrows are a very useful form of activated ability. There's also activated abilities that allow you to swap entire columns. Mm -hmm. So you take the column, both active and passive cards, that's in your, say, eight slot, and swap it with whatever's in your five slot, which really really useful if you've invested heavily in your eights or invested heavily in your your high numbers that get swapped now to a lower number and therefore has a higher chance of being able to activate exactly exactly so this way you can really just build up 
a powerful engine because this is at its base an engine building game yeah definitely you're trying to get this engine of credits to buy the new cards to get you more points and other things like that and one of the types of cards that we didn't mention which are out are like these bases so Hmm. you can buy these bases that will go into your slot for that number and that slot is going to be dead Mm -hmm. but it gives you a very significant number of victory points yeah just straight up victory points so it's just like one of those where it's like now whenever you roll a six for example you don't get anything but you got that really significant number of victory points previously exactly the other interesting mechanic within the resource management is actually just how your credits work. Right. So credits are not used as you would normally expect in terms of money in games, mm-hmm. where you collect it and then you use only however much you want to buy whatever you need. What happens is that when you decide to do a purchase action, then you have to have enough money for that purchase and your your credit track goes down when you purchase it but then at the end of that turn your credits reset to wherever your income is right and so this is an interesting thing because you start with income of zero for the most part unless you have you have four players or five players at which point they actually do gain some income but The interesting thing is that you're always going back down pretty significantly whenever you buy anything. Even if you buy like a two cost thing and you had 14 credits, you're still going to go down to wherever your income is. Mm -hmm. And this makes income a very, very important resource because it doesn't, you know, immediately increase your buying power, but it just means that you start from a higher level. So if you have an income of six, so even if you, if you buy something that's worth seven, you're only starting one below that. Right. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of interaction in the way that it the way that it works and it it basically just gives you a floor. It's almost like, you know, I think you actually once compared it to Splendor. Yeah. You know, you acquire these these bonuses that just give you that raise the floor of cards that you can acquire on any given turn for relatively low cost, you know. If you have an income of 6, then every single turn you can buy a card that costs 6 or less mm-hmm. for basically free. Exactly. So yeah, it's it's very much an interesting mechanic and an interesting interaction there. Yeah. And then the last thing about the game is just how it ends. Yeah. You get to 40 points. So some one person gets their 40 point on their victory point track. Then the ge- that is the last round of the game. Everyone has till the end of the round to finish whatever they can do. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the round, you look and you see if any if whoever has the most victory points at that point wins. So if, you know, Greg ended the game with 42 and then I managed to get 43 by the time my turn was done because I was the last person in the round. Yeah, in this purely hypothetical situation that, that you are now happen. describing that totally has never happened precisely before ever. <laughs> yep, exactly. If that were to be the case, I would end up winning, even though Greg ended the, uh, ended the game technically. Right. Triggered the end of the game. Triggered the end of the game. If there is a tie, however, you keep playing. Yeah. It's basically sudden death. Yeah. Uh, game. The game continues round by round until one person is not tied for the most. Yeah. Pretty much. So you just keep going and going and going and going. Yeah. Thankfully, we haven't actually run into that problem. Yeah. But it is, uh, it is noteworthy in that there is no bailout mechanic. Yeah. It's, you just no keep playing. Breaker. Yeah. Nope. Well, but yeah, that's pretty much how you play Space Base. 
Yeah. So let's talk about sort of how it feels. And we've talked about that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, sort of interspersed with the mechanics. But I think one of the biggest points in its favor, and there are many actually, mm-hmm. uh, is that it's very it's very quick. Yeah. You know, it feels very light. There's you can definitely do some strategizing about which purchase is you know better objectively, or or whether or not you should take something as a combination or as its individual values. But for the most part, decision making is very streamlined. Gameplay, you know, each turn is over very quickly, even though everybody does something on every single turn. Yeah, they can do it simultaneously. And then it's their turn. You know, in a two player game, you go back and forth and there's never a dull moment. Like you're just constantly, okay, cool. Next thing, next thing, next thing. And then Mm -hmm. the game's over suddenly. Yeah. So you always have a decision to make on your uh, on anyone's turn. Right. Like the beginning, it could be a little bit slow just because, you know, you're you don't have that many cards, especially in the passive slots. But by the end, it's just like. Greg rolls a seven and it's just like, okay, do I want the split up parts? How much is that going to be for me? And like, Greg is figuring out his own thing. I'm doing my own thing. And then like, we all look up after a while. I was like, everyone done? All right, good. Next. Yeah. Hand over the dice, roll the dice and keep going. And so it really adds a decent amount to the game. And I, I really like it. I really like being able to get something on every single roll that someone else does. Yes. And being able to build into that strategy is really fun. But at the same time, it's not the only strategy because a lot of times the smaller number uh, die rolls are worth a lot less. Yeah. So because, well, you can get up to two of them in turn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that. You can either, you know, invest in the 12, which you might get once or twice in the game versus the sixes, which are just going to be a lot less powerful but you'll have way more you'll have way more of them right well and it's interesting that you mentioned that because and i'll bring up a again a totally hypothetical situation Mm -hmm. there is a 12 card it's a charge card that says uh you know if you roll a 12 put a charge on this card and a concept that we didn't explain is linked charges Mm -hmm. so some cards have more than one charge square if they are linked then you have to fill every single one of them and then remove them all in order to gain one activation of that. Yeah. If they're not linked, you can basically hold X number of charges and then remove one to use the ability once or two to use it twice, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But there is a card in the 12 slot with three to five linked charge counters, depending on the number of players you have. And this card says, if you activate it, you win the game. Yep. So normally this would require in the three player game in which this happened, it would have required my, me to roll 12 four times yep which is a statistical impossibility Mm -hmm. over the course of just the number of turns in a normal game of space base but because of arrows because of abilities that allow you to set the value of your dice instead of rolling them or re-roll one of your dice instead Mm -hmm. of you know re-rolling just taking the roll as is you have the ability to make these janky strategies work and to invest heavily in the rarer numbers but then still find a way to get to them. Like you can build around that strategy if that's what you want to try to make work. Mm. And I really appreciate that. I think it it just shows, you know, a commitment to creating options, creating opportunities for players to do something that isn't just flood the board with 80 million cheap tier one cards in every slot. And so that they're getting 20 gold by the time their next turn rolls around. You know, the fact that you have alternatives to that, I think is really very compelling. Yeah, exactly. It, it really does one of my favorite things, which is have multiple tracks to victory. Yes. So I definitely like it a lot for that. 
But yeah, definitely, you know, sort of knowing how to use the probability curve and knowing the fact that being able to separate the dice rolls into its individual components means that the numbers one through six are that much more likely to show up is a huge part of crafting an effective strategy. You know, just knowing that you're going to have to get over that handicap if you do decide to focus on something like a a 12 heavy strategy Mm -hmm. or like a 9 to 11 strategy. That said, one of the things that I really appreciate about the rule book is that it includes a distribution of roles. It includes, you know, this is how many possible ways there are to get a six. And it includes both combining lower value dice and just rolling a six on one of the die. Yeah. So I, I definitely appreciate that they factored that in and that they gave you that resource to use. And overall, I think it's an interesting and complicated mechanism. Like it's hard to fully wrap your head around, but it's definitely easy to jump into. Yeah, it's easier to use, complicated to game out. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think that another thing that just to mention, because probably some people are listening to this and being like, hmm, that sounds like Machi Koro. That is the elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, it is very much like Machi Koro. It has a similar mechanic of rolling the die and then uh, getting some stuff on your turn, their turn, anything like that. However, it has some really big benefits over Machi Koro, And that is the fact that you will never have a turn on which you don't get anything on your turn. Yes. You will always, whenever you roll something, get something. Yeah, the fact that you start with at least something on every single number is, uh, it makes a world of difference. Because even if it's just a pittance, Mm -hmm. it's not a completely dead turn. And so it doesn't feel completely wasted. Exactly. So that by itself already just fixes one of my biggest problems with Machikoro. Right. Totally agree. That all being said, no game is perfect. As we always say. So let's start with the fact that there are some corner cases which are not really addressed in the rulebook. Yeah. I had one card that lets you do the benefit of a passive action a second time if I remove the charge. Right. And the question was whether or not I would be able to you know, place the charge on that turn, remove the charge in order to use that whole passive ability again, place the charge again, remove it, place it, remove it, place it, and I keep getting it over and over again until I do a game-breaking loop. Yeah. We decided that no, but that was our decision and not part of the rules. Right, yeah. So just, you know, the rules are very simple as written, and the the text of the cards is very straightforward, Mm -hmm. which is nice, but it does also sort of lead to some of those, like, wait a minute. How do these interact? Types of questions. Yep. Uh, one of the other things that is would be nice that I think the game would definitely benefit from is a board clear mechanic. Yeah. So we mentioned there's sort of the spread of 18 cards, tier ones, twos, and threes available. And sometimes people just aren't interested in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in a two-player game, someone's just eventually going to have a bunch of money. They're going to buy one and something new is going to come out. Like that will happen eventually. But I do think the game would benefit from some sort of board clear mechanic, you know, whether it's time based, you know, if X number of turns go by and no one's bought anything from a particular row, wipe it. Or if it's something that you pay for, you know, if you if there's really nothing out there that you want to buy, spend, you know, X amount of money or, or all of your money or whatever it may be and wipe a tier. I think it would add some depth to the game because, you know, not only could you use it sort of for your own personal benefit, you can use it to the detriment of your opponents. And I think that's probably why they didn't include it, because Mm -hmm. it would just get weaponized. 
But I do think having some sort of mechanism in there would make it just uh, easier to avoid some of those little little dead dead zones. Exactly, exactly. So I think that those are the two biggest gripes that we have with with the game. Right. So let's let's talk about what our overall thought is and what our ratings are. Greg, why don't you start us off? Sure. Yeah. So you know. We addressed the issue. We think that this is a lot like Machikoro, uh, which we're going to mention here in a minute. But I think it's it's better in just about every way. I mean, certainly in the avoiding some of the early pitfalls of mm-hmm. that and, and jumping right into the action and being able to control, really being able to control your strategy. You know, some of it's based on what cards become available, but you can, in just about any situation, make a conscious choice of... I'm going to go for a battle cruiser strategy and go like, you know, nines through twelves and like just hardcore. If I get a big number, I win the game basically. Yeah. Or I can go, you know, chipping away at it, nickel and dime stuff on ones through sixes. I like that you have that control and I like that each of those strategies feels accessible. So overall, very well designed. I think a lot of the unique ships are really fun to play around with. You know, they're goofy, but they're still interesting and fit with the the mm-hmm. theme, fit with the design quality of the rest of the game. You know, none of them feel broken. None of them feel super weak. So overall, very well done game. I say buy it. Uh, I'm going to echo that. I really, really enjoy the game. I think it's a lot of fun. I think that... It scratches an itch that I didn't have any game that scratched, like a, a sort of a dice game that is quick, easy, easy to pick up, and lets you do some really fun engine building with a lot of mitigation. Yeah. Because as our listeners know, dice are not my friend. <laughs> it's true. And the fact that I can use other people's dice means that they can help me a little bit more. So in general, I just, I really like the game. I like the theme, you know, space, all that kind of stuff, always fun. And the lore behind it, like they have all the different ships have their different names and all that kind of stuff. And they even have like the sections about like, you know, the lore of like what, what is going on in the game actually in the rule book, which is cool. Yeah, it's a nice touch. So all in all, it's an all around package. I think that this is definitely a buy it from me. Well, there you go. Double buy it. Definitely pick up Space Base at your uh, friendly local game store. Before we go, really quick, we're going to mention a couple of games that are similar. If you like them, you'll probably like this and vice versa. First up, Machikoro. Everybody knew this was coming. Yeah, a lot of, in a lot of ways, these feel like almost the same game. I mean, I'm not going to say that they do, but, you know, really similar core mechanics in rolling the dice. You do have a little bit more control over how the dice get allocated in space base versus you know in machi koro you can just decide to roll one versus two dice Mm -hmm. overall i think if you're willing to play with the theme you know if you're not married to this sort of provincial japanese town theme of machi koro i think space base is just doing all the same things and doing them better so if you like machi koro absolutely check out space base yeah for sure and the second one is dark rock ventures this one is a little bit different in in terms of the mechanics that it has but at its core it has a lot of the dice rolling and a lot of the common use dice so in this game you're doing much more like resource management and that kind of stuff but it's all based on dice that both you roll and 
are rolled in the center. So you have a common set of dice that are rolled at the beginning, and then you do like a little bit of trying to anticipate where things are going based on the probabilities. And you know, if there's a five that came out, you're probably not gonna go for the space that has a four uh, because, well, there's no real good way of you getting there. And But there's a much better chance of you being able to go up to a six or something like that based on what you roll. So it has those kinds of dice mechanics and a lot of the resource management and a lot of mitigation as well. So all in all, it has similar kinds of mechanics to Space Space, but is implemented in a very different way with worker placement rather than card building. So if you enjoy Space Space and want something a little bit more worker placement-ish, check out Dark Rock Ventures. If you like Dark Rock Ventures, but want something more purely just based on rolls every turn, goes quickly, check out Space Base. There you go. That's our entire review of Space Base. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Just a reminder, WashingCon is right around the corner. So you guys just got back from Gen Con. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. WashingCon is definitely one of those. So September 8th and 9th, it's going to be a blast. There are going to be so many cool special guests. This year, we have a lot of really cool new stuff planned. The panels are going to be awesome. And we have some fun guests joining as well. So be sure to check that out as soon as possible. Tickets are on sale now at washingcon.com. And we're really looking forward to seeing you there. Additionally, be sure to check out our live streams, which happen on Wednesdays and Fridays. We will be having our live stream this Wednesday, but our Friday live stream and next week are a little bit up in the air since I'm going on vacation and it's up to Greg to keep those up. Hopefully you will be able to tune in for some fun stuff from variety streams then. Also, be sure to keep your eyes peeled for our next board game bistro coming out later on this month. And finally, stay tuned for our next episode of Dragon's Demise coming out next Monday.